Uh, oh, so abrupt. Hello, everyone, <laughs> and welcome to Season 3, Episode 21, the Halloween special of History's Greatest Idiots, the show where we take you back through all of human history and give you lessons that you can learn from so you never mistake, the mis never make the same mistakes again. Who are we kidding? We're humans. We like making mistakes. And, uh, man, I really... We need to, like, okay, that intro I made, I'm like, I, I can't remember how I did it. I feel like it was, sorry, uh, joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek, before I go off on the tangent. Derek, how are you doing, mate? Good. That was a jump scare intro, it I was. think. It was. Perfect. You designed it that way on purpose. I did. So I, I did like a thing. I feel like I did like a really straightforward free movie maker app on like Windows Store or something. And I was just like adding it frame by frame and like doing the animation and adding music and stuff. And I think I must have forgotten to do like a a two second outro period because it just jumps the fuck into the, 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 the there's no warming down or anything like that it's just, just straight into the live broadcast and just ends so i like it though work it's perfect yeah, for the halloween it though it's like that we should scream right when we're getting there ah, i don't yeah. think i've got the voice for it <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i can scream anymore i think i think i can maybe like do a, a really i could probably sound like a teenager but i don't think i could do like an actual scream i think my voice just breaks yeah, yeah i don't know thought. that I, I can i can holler and i can yeah do aspirated Grumble. <laughs> I can wheeze loudly, yeah. but that's kind of it, really. Um, so uh, let's let's get to the usual stuff. Um, so if you would like to uh, follow us on social media, go to at Greatest Idiots on uh, Twitter slash X, and go to History's Greatest Idiots on uh, Instagram. And oh, Patreon suddenly stopped working. That's that's interesting. Uh, let's uh, let's vamp for a little bit. And uh, oh. yes, we do have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots, you can uh, follow us there and get loads of behind the scenes stuff and access to scripts and all of that wonderful stuff. And uh, like you, pictures of your vacation and Margo. And I think vacation of Margo. I yeah. Actually go walk my cat Rocco on a leash on video for Brad. And nice. uh, maybe I'll share that on Patreon for people. You can watch uh me walk a cat. I want to see that. I want to see cat because I, I have seen cats being walked on a leash before. Right? When I used to live in just north of London, not too far from the city, like a lot of people had cats and they would walk them around the block on the lead and stuff. But like I'd quite like to see that in a place like Arizona, where there's like wildlife that could attack the cat. So oh. I, I feel like that's a bit more interesting than the versions I've seen. It's not so much wildlife in this area. I mean, it's not as wild west desert where I'm at as right. it is uh, concrete jungle. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So you're on the peripheries, I guess, the boundaries of wildness. Yeah. Yes. And he's only just fun to watch on it because he throws fits and just lays down when he doesn't want to go somewhere. I mean, my dog does that too, but she's just sort of like stubborn about it. Instead of throwing a fit, she's just like, no, fuck it. I'm not moving. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd like to big shout out to our patrons. Um, Jesse Christ, our OG patron. Uh, Kimberly Johnson, thank you so much. And of course, Andrew Zavara, thank you all so much for supporting us on Patreon. Guys, if you'd like to support us on there, please do. Once again, that's History's Greatest Idiots on Patreon. So at patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots so that's that's what it is and yeah man um so halloween um you we were talking about this before and you're saying it's quite quite an american thing we do have it over here but not quite such a big deal i think we've spoken about this before but yeah you guys put on a show and i really wish i could see that i just found out that 
right here in Arizona, they have like um, this house that decorates like Beetlejuice. It's like the Beetlejuice house in Arizona. No. So I'm going to have to go look at that now. That but, sounds fucking amazing. Yeah, it looks super sick. I'm, I'm, they have it somewhere on, on YouTube, a little walkthrough okay. of it. So go check that out. It's awesome. I'm I would love to see that. We had a bit of an ode to Halloween here. I was telling Derek before we come on air. Um, in the part of uh, Wolverhampton, what's up, bitches? Yes, Toastazoid. Welcome to the Halloween special. We'll be doing scary, spooky idiots. Ooh. Um, uh, yeah, so we we have a, a thing in the, the city where I live. Well, this specific part of the city where the Rotary Club send a Santa thing around the neighborhood and uh, it's he waves all the kids and chucks toys and candy out and you know there's music and he's been pulled by a car and it's all very cute the halloween one this year is just the same float uh except with a light instead of a live santa in there it's just a skeleton wearing santa's outfit with a beard hanging off i was like oh that's dark i love that though (laughs) (laughs) very and also like the the as he was coming past they were playing creepy music but then as soon as like it got to just by hour because they're going at like two miles an hour. They're going really slow. It started with dancing in the moonlight. Appropriate <laughs> music for this. This is really surreal. Maybe that was part of the horror. That, that very well could be party music while this corpse is being traipsed through the streets. Um, also, Halloween. I, I mentioned I was going to do this. I, I don't really get dressed up for Halloween. I don't really do much for Halloween. But I've decided, like today, I had a little bit more energy than usual. So I decided I'd be in character all day as Daniel Day-Lewis's character from There Will Be Blood. So I was just walking around my house, just being uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. And uh, I was making my Huel this morning. And I just turned to my wife and go, would you like to drink from my milkshake? <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, have you seen the dog? Uh, no. She was with you last. <laughs> I said, and I thought, oh, my God, I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my girl. I've just been walking around doing Daniel Day Lewis all day. Well, oh, it's been so much fun. See, and that's how a voice actor dresses up for Halloween. Yeah, we. I just do impressions of like famous characters. That really that came back into my mind recently because I was watching a um a thing on Instagram, a random reel, and it. You know how people like say things after golf swings sometimes at tournaments to just like fuck and fuck with people and get on like the the broadcasts and stuff. Um, someone. Like they've been waiting for them to hit the ball, and the ball flies off, and just a guy randomly screams, "I've abandoned my child!" Like that, <laughs> so so surreal. And you can hear the commentators go, "Oh God, there's another one." So it it must be a thing now. But that got me thinking about that scene in There Will Be Blood, and I was like, "Yeah, I think I'm going to be Daniel Day Lewis all day." There you go. It's a powerful performance. It's a great film, but like out of context, it's really fucking weird. <laughs> it's a weird and performance. That's the best way to use it, is out of context. Yes, absolutely. Yes, completely. Take the most serious, dramatic role you can think, and you put it into like everyday context when you're like, would you like a piece of toast? Like, it suddenly <laughs> becomes really weird. Yeah. Uh, I, I once saw a guy uh, do that, and he yelled, Jeff, you can't melt steel beams. Uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's hilarious. The conspiracy theory has been shouted at golf tournaments. Oh, um, yes, yeah, like, good as day. Daniel Day Lewis, though. Jet <laughs> <laughs> fuel can't melt steel beams. He's <laughs> like, he's got weird pronunciation in, in that whole film. It's like, I will cut your throat. 
while you sleep in the house with your children. It's like, I'm just trying to talk to you. What's the matter with you? It's so <laughs> intense throughout that whole film. Um, so we've got a couple of really interesting ones for you today. I've got one that's tangentially related to Halloween. It's very vague, but there's a mystery element to it. So before we get to that, Derek, who is your Halloween idiot this season? Okay, well, I to be honest, I was all over the damn place trying to mm. pick one this year. Because like I couldn't, I couldn't dial it in. I wanted to do like Vlad the Impaler, and then I was thinking like uh, Alistair Crawley. Oh, that would be interesting, yeah. And then I was like, well, I don't know if that's like an idiot. And then Vlad the, the Impaler is not really an idiot either. And I mean, he's yeah. like a national hero in Romania, so that's oh, kind of. Yeah. And and he's like just basically because of the name. And mm. then I almost did a fictional person, which would have been totally not what we do <clears throat> so i settled on this gem of a man uh he's probably one of the most infamous figures in american criminal history uh a fella by the name of h.h H. holmes yes uh, he's one of uh, america's first serial killer yeah sounds most most infamous S- seems seems to be acknowledged as america's first serial killer because it was not too long after the civil war so therefore like People were documenting things now. Uh, yeah, I'm going to get rid of that comment. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, just a quick disclaimer, though, in all the the research I did, there's kind of controversy and dispute about some of the details of how bad he really was, how much of it was made up, yellow journalism at the time, because they sure. were kind of off the rails at during you know the late 1800s. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we'll dive into the life of the dark, twisted man. Herman Webster Mudgett is what he was born on May 16th, 1861. Just your average run-of-the-mill kid from New Hampshire. He was the third uh, child of parents, both descended from the English or the first English settlers in America at the time. No wonder he's uh, a psychopath. Okay. <laughs> uh, he's a bright young man that graduated at the age of 16 with honors from uh, Gilmont Academy. Uh, he came from a farming family, and his father was reportedly a heavy drinker that treated the family pretty cruelly most of the time. And wow. when he was in high school, he was kind of bullied. That helped him develop a, a sense of interest in, in death. Because one of the Mm. pranks that they pulled on him is they drug him into uh, a science lab and forced him to put skeleton hands on his face. And it was terrifying for him. And later he he talked about how he found the experience intriguing and it helped him overcome his worries and also gave him a little bit of an obsession with death. And then that, of course, possibly a hard on maybe. Yeah. Yes, yes, because from there, boom, he starts dissecting animals as they do. Um, yeah. By they, I mean serial killers as children. Mm-hmm. Um, on the 4th of July, 1878, he married his first wife, Clara Lovering, Lovering in Alton, New Hampshire. The couple okay. had one son. Uh, around that same time, he enrolled in the U- University of Vermont, but he got okay. bored and dropped out after about a year. 
-hmm. He went on to re-enroll at the University of Michigan and sign up in the Department of Medicine and Surgery in 1882, where he graduated in 1884 after passing his uh, exams. While he was studying there, he got in good with his professor and started doing this really interesting thing. Okay. Grave robbing. Yeah. See, <laughs> they they needed medical cadavers at the school. Right. Mm-hmm. And this professor that he was working under liked human dissection. They didn't have easy access to people donating their bodies. So the easiest way to do that was to send out you, you know, your undergrad or <laughs> go steal <laughs> me some bodies. Eagle, go and get me some bodies. Like, oh, Jesus. Actually, that's that was an industry in this country. You know, there's a famous, there was a movie made about two particularly famous grave robbers, Burke and O'Hare, um, starring Andy Serkis and Simon Pegg. That's a really real thing. And actually, a lot of um, people have suggested that um, uh, Da Vinci got so good at like studying the human anatomy and replicating it because he actually employed someone to bring him corpses so that he could dissect them. And I mean, you know, the dissection of corpses and the understanding of the human anatomy has been a really important part of medical advancements and, and dispelling crazy quackery. But at the same time, digging up someone's dead body is kind of illegal and weird. Yeah. Although, you know, you probably would have had more people donating their body to science if you didn't have. Never mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, it... Oh, it was Good Omens. Do you... Have you watched that show? Yes, I think I have. They yes, did a, thing, a grave robbery thing where they were yeah. the angel and demon acting as grave robbers for medical people doing cadaver things. And that That's was right. in. Uh, that's a good show too that was great too yeah so he was one of those grave robbers for medical cadavers uh hh holmes and things are kind of weird around that time even weirder than the grave robbing is his housemates kind of recalled that he was physically violent with his wife clara Mm -hmm. and just before graduation she just kind of dipped back to new hampshire without saying anything to anybody and never just never talked to him again it was also the last time anybody's seen his son Mm. Around the same time, he was seen with a boy that disappeared that was not his son because his son uh, went on to become a CPA in Orlando. So, Oh, okay. So, the, so his son didn't get murdered by his father, thank God. But still. Some other boy, maybe. Mm, weird. Okay. Another rumor started circulating about a missing boy that uh, Holmes had been seen with right after he moved to Moores, New York. And he claimed that that boy went home to massachusetts and for some reason there was no investigation but he took off out of town after that which he has a habit of doing it started Mm. right there um rumor missing kid he leaves after leaving there he goes to philadelphia uh gets hired on at norristown state hospital but he only lasts a few days and days wow ends up working at a drugstore in in philly all right better than the state hospital i guess Probably good business there as well at that time of year, at that time, because a lot of communicable diseases around. So, yeah, probably a lot of business. Yes. And yeah. easy access to whatever he wanted to do, which 
In this case, while he was working at that drugstore, a boy died shortly after taking some medicine that he was purchased there. This is... Hmm. Why is he going after these young lads? Why specifically them? Um, it just seems to happen. Yeah. Not necessarily Weird. him, because he denies any involvement in that child's death. Um, just seems very coincidental, all of these kids going missing and then him yes. skipping town. Yeah, because yeah. immediately after that child died, he took off from Philadelphia as well and uh, changed his name to Henry Howard Holmes, possibly go. to avoid uh, the victims trying to get after him and possibly because he was also a bit of a fraudster engaged in insurance fraud, which his old talent of grave robbing, he would dig up the bodies and present them as uh, deaths to collect on uh, life insurance policies. Wow. That's yeah. dark. Fuck me. Pretty neat scheme though. Yeah. Anyway. Very clever. <laughs> in 1886 while he was still legally married to clara he married 24 year old um murda belknap in Mil minneapolis minnesota okay classy feller like he mm -hmm. is he filed for divorce from clara by alleging that clara had engaged in infidelity right okay uh, whatever get just get away from him so just take it you know <laughs> like, well uh, there was no evidence that she actually was served with the papers and the claims couldn't be proven. So the case was just kind of dropped. Um, the divorce was never finalized. So he ended up being married to two people at the same time. Uh, around that same big time. me, big you, big everyone in the room. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, Toastazoid raises a good point here. And this is something I was actually going to mention independently uh, before even Toasty mentioned it. There is a theory about, because there's so many theories about Jack the Ripper, uh, German sailor, William Gull, the Queen's surgeon, which was Alan Moore's theory. Uh, but yeah, the H.H. Holmes one, because the timelines match up quite well in the Jack the Ripper stuff stops happening. And then a few years later, H.H. Holmes stuff starts happening and like they're around about the same age-ish and similar set of circumstances. And like it's somewhat plausible. For sure. Ish. It, it is. And there was a, a descendant of his that had, had some journals that Ooh. he said maybe contained confessions to having massacred prostitutes in the London area around that same time. But again, there's a lot of BS. Yeah. And legend and myth. Kind of a, like Elizabeth Bathory. Yes, exactly. And like some of it will be legend building. As well, because the descendants of this guy, as grotesque as it is, will have a somewhat vested interest in there being more interest in him, right? Because the estate, the the memory, like there's something to be made there anyway. But yeah, anyway, sorry, just random theory there. So please carry on. It's a solid theory too. It is, and and it yeah. comes up all over the place for him, and yeah, very well could be. And he was brutal and torturous and medically handy. So, yes, exactly. Matches quite well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, the marrying in Minneapolis, he wanders on now to Chicago in 1886, where he starts taking work at this drugstore that he eventually acquires. It's oh, a, wow. 
a charming little drugstore on the corner of South Wallace Avenue and 63rd in Inglewood. Uh, mm-hmm. He's working for Elizabeth Holton, who okay. he purchases it from, although there was a rumor that he murdered Dr. E.S. Holton to acquire that drugstore, but that seems to be unfounded. Right, yeah. Where's he got the money from, though? Because I'd imagine that wasn't a cheap purchase, you know, a commercial property like that. That must have cost him a fair penny. It, it seems as though he was a good employee, worked his way up, made, okay. I don't know, wormed his way in. Mm. It's uh, people, I guess things weren't as expensive then. I don't know. Right. He was also scamming insurances and things at the same time, too. He's got side hustles going, body right, okay. robbings and, of course, and, yeah. and whatnot. That's probably quite um, lucrative, yeah. So he purchases that drugstore. He also purchases an empty lot across the street where he intends to build a two-story mixed-use building that uh, later becomes a three-story building that he plans on using as a hotel for the Chicago World's Fair. Which is a sound investment. That is a smart move. And and this is the Chicago World's Fair, which is like 18... Sorry, 19... When is this? It was... Uh, 1892? Three, three, yeah, 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 that's it, yeah. Yeah, the that was it, World's yeah. Columbian the, Exposition or Chicago World's Fair. That's right, yeah. Recently yeah. featured in an episode of Loki on, on uh, uh, Disney+. Plus. Yeah, um, really cool episode, yeah. <laughs> no mention of H.H. Holmes. I think Disney are avoiding the mention of a mass murderer at the World's Fair, but yeah. No, but they do mention him on, well, in a roundabout sort of way. They based an entire season kind of on what we're going to get into now on American Horror Story in the hotel season. Fun. Which is that hotel that he was building for the Chicago World's Fair was kind of rumored to be called the Murder Castle by the, you know, the press there. Wow. Um, It had supposedly secret chambers trap doors uh, a basement crematorium shoots to throw bodies down uh, a hanging room all the good stuff <laughs> I, it, uh, it, yeah i just <coughs> sorry just a random thing about like haunted houses and trap doors and secret passages and stuff like as a kid i was kind of fascinated with that uh, i think it was also around about the time i watched the film clue with you know just that's a great 80s film um like a real fast comedy thing have you ever seen that i yeah. don't know that i have seen it but i believe that i've seen it at the video store yeah oh man it's such a good <laughs> film because it every because it had three different endings and depending on which theater you went into you saw a different ending so people would be having conversations about oh no this was the killer and you're like what the fuck are you talking about i saw that film that's not the killer but oh then they get into genuine arguments about it and then other people will go and see it. It was really smart advertising. Uh, Tim Curry's amazing in it. Uh, he's like at his absolute height of his powers, physical comedy everywhere. But also, um, I think as a kid, like the idea of trapdoors and secret passages and stuff and like that. But also I grew up in Wales and we have like a castle every like three miles and they are full of like priest holes or trapdoors, or secret passages, or dungeons, and all of this stuff, and and then like, uh, you know, places like this in America, and also um, the the widow of the guy who used to make guns, Winchester, oh, the yeah. Winchester that Mansion. Awesome. That place is fucked, man. So yeah, like that kind of stuff. I like, I love. But actually, you go to a number of um, different stately homes in the UK, and there are these things called priest holes, 
which uh, around about the time of the Reformation, when Catholics were being persecuted, particularly the Catholic priests, uh, people who were sympathetic to them would build secret spaces for them to hide in when uh, the, um, the, uh, the, the authorities were coming around looking for them. So they could hide in these like little holes and be surreptitiously hidden away for a few hours before they came back out again at night. Really clever. But anyway, sorry, carry on. Secret passages, all that stuff. It's super fascinating to me still. I just learned some new stuff. I've never heard of a priest hole before, and I didn't know that they had Try to go hide in little hidey holes. Make, make, make sure that when you Google that, you type in priest hole and not, priest, <laughs> not a priest hole. You might end up on the Boston Global or something... And that's a di that's oh a different search, uh, but yeah, uh, a, a priest hole is it's like a whole thing, and some of them were really elaborate. Some of them had like books and like a place to sleep and stuff, but most of them were like, you know, like just staying here and trying not to breathe too much, you know. So, uh, yeah, well, that is interesting. Really, I learned something like every episode, <laughs> even like the stuff that I just like stuff I'm not expecting to. So completely random tangent brain of mine sorry please carry on yeah the murder castle kind of infamous and I'd, I'd love to know more about that okay so it's got the trap doors and body shoots and a crematorium in the basement sure. uh, maybe because maybe yeah maybe it was a, a laundry shoot a lot of them uh, the, the details and stuff were made up uh, by the papers at the time um, right. some of the parts and the weird oddities, the stairs to nowhere, the stuff like the Winchester Mystery House mm. uh, things could have actually been for insurance fraud and because he didn't want to pay his contractors, a la <laughs> some other rich people that had building problems and didn't want to pay their contractors. Yeah, that's fucking uh, hilarious. So it could have been that or it could have been an all-you-can-eat murder buffet of tourists for the Chicago World's Fair whatever. Sure, you know? yeah. But he did kill a lot of people. Oh, for sure, yeah. That's not in doubt. That is a thing. Um, in in the realm of murders, uh, he 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 really, God, he did bad things, and right. it's not exactly sure why. If he was really into the torture and sadism sort of stuff, or if, um, for some of them, if he was just a shitty doctor uh, at giving abortions, right, and a philanderer. That's an interesting theory, actually, that illegal abortions, uh, just, just to point out to any lawmakers that might be watching this, you're not going to stop abortions from happening. You're just going to make them unsafe. So uh, maybe stick with Roe v. Wade. But yeah, like that, that's also plausible. A bit like the back Jack the Ripper theory, that's like within the realms of possibility. And I can kind of understand that at the time. This guy was very shady. He had a medical background. There's a need. He could probably make a lot of money doing it, and he has no qualms about it going wrong. So, yeah. and yeah. like one of his victims, uh, his secretary, Emmeline um, Seagrand, was okay. also his mistress. Uh, she disappeared, hmm. supposedly to run off with somebody. I uh, may have gotten pregnant after her husband found out she was having an affair with him. And okay. he had to give her an abortion that didn't work. Also, um, his other mistress, Julia Smythe, right. her husband kicked her out and she ended up moving into the hotel and staying with him and may have become pregnant and also fell victim to a, a botched abortion of his baby. 
and her witness five-year-old daughter, Pearl, may have also been offed on Christmas Eve of 1891 um, in that cruisy murder, murder castle of his, maybe, probably. Uh, they did find a partial skeleton of a child around Pearl's age in the cellar of the home when they excavated it. So that one, uh, Julia and her child, is po- probably one of the ones, but unproven. Wow, that's dark. There was also the Williams sisters, uh, uh, Minnie and Nanny, who Holmes allegedly murdered after swindling them out of their property. Um, maybe. Maybe, uh, yeah. He confessed uh, to a bunch of stuff later on when they captured him, but we'll get into that. They hinted at some involvement in disappearance of of like Emily Van Tassel, who disappeared in 1891 after working at his drugstore. Uh, Dr. Russler had an office at the castle and vanished in 1892. Then uh, the 68-year-old creditor of Holmes named John D. Bruel, uh, he, wow. he died um, after taking a drink of some black liquid uh, that you know Holmes gave him. Uh, he collapsed shortly afterwards on April seventeenth, eighteen ninety-one. Uh, some people say that H. H. Holmes actually poured the black wi- liquid down his throat. Ooh. Not, not that he drank it. Uh, that one could have been uh, another one, sort of like what he does with his business partner who helped him do insurance fraud. Right. Um, I'm going to jump ahead to no i'm gonna wait (laughs) i almost jumped ahead to the he poisoned this guy and may have told him that he was going to help him get his money if he pretended to be dead what if you pretend to be dead i'll help you get your money that's like and he may have just killed him anyway on purpose accidentally i'm just gonna sorry before we we uh continue on i just want to show people who are watching on the live stream that's the murder castle um, I don't know if I can zoom in here, if that'll make a difference. Oops, a little bit. That, that went a bit, yeah. Um, it's an interesting... I mean, it's just completely... that You wouldn't ever suspect that there was anything wrong with that. It's just a normal building, right? From the outside. So, right. Yeah. Um, very, very weird that he would, like, um, just sort of say, oh, I'll help you with this scheme. You'll get some money. Maybe everything will be fine. And then just kills the guy anyway I, it's it's a very odd series of behaviors this and it was basically because the dude he owed the dude money he was a contractor that he owed money to right. and i think he schemed him into accidentally killing himself um other suspected victims include kitty kelly john davis uh, harry walker milford cole and then lucy burbank who her bank book and some human hair was found in a chimney flute at the castle in 1895 Wow. And then somehow he confessed to being involved with two identify, unidentified victims that were found in a lake in, uh, or excuse me, that were found in Lake County, Illinois. So uh, somewhere between seven that we know of and 200 he's suspected <laughs> of killing. Yeah. <laughs> and this, like, I, I mean, obviously you're not quite finished yet, but I have a bunch of questions about that. Like, is this a case of the police, like, we can tie a bunch of killings to this guy now. So why don't we just like, we, we're never going to solve them. Let's just tie them to this guy sort of thing. Is there an element of that there? Maybe, but I don't think that they actually cleared any of it 
on him. They just this is all stuff that they suspect maybe he could have been involved with uh, wow. some confessions that he could have like they didn't clear any of the cases or bring any closure with any of this. This is just things they thought he did. They got him on like two murders actually okay. or seven. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Sure. <laughs> um, his final plot though was involving his business partner, uh, Benjamin Pitzel, who he murdered in an insurance scheme fraud. He told him that he was going to, get a cadaver to pretend to be him right. and turned it in for his life insurance. But then he chloroformed him and set him on fire. What the fuck dude. And, and then, and then he went and inserted himself into Pitzel's family and became a nanny to his kids oh, and took dumb. care of their mother. And then, well, he killed the kids. Holy shit. Yeah, he he put uh, Benjamin's two daughters in a trunk and asphyxiated them in the basement of the, the uh, place he was staying. And then he killed the son and, and cut him up into pieces and they never actually found him. And Jesus. he did so with the mom like just blocks away. But he told him that they were in London. So just fuck? just passing passing by it's just horrible horrible dude um yeah anyway he actually got caught in boston in 1894 and was tried and convicted uh confessed to 27 murders that's what it was and Fuck he ended me. up being hanged for pitzel's death in 1896 right okay now get this when he was buried he requested that they buried him 10 feet deep and uh, covered in concrete because <laughs> he feared grave robbers. <laughs> yeah, you know. uh, the uh, irony, yeah. Yeah, sure. trust issues. But <laughs> the the best thing, though, is in 2017, his body was exhumed for testing. Mm. But, but, I mean, it had to be, right? Because, yeah. yes, <laughs> he, that was like his worst fear, The because karma. Like, uh, bury me 10 feet deep and put me in concrete because I'm scared of grave robbers. So what do they do? 2017, they dig his ass up and test him because people wanted to make sure that he wasn't, you know, Jack the Ripper or somebody else's sure. grandpa or whatever. Yeah. Um, when they dug him up, he was super well preserved. He mm. still had his mustache and his clothes were all there. Wow. Um, and I don't actually know. There was no conclusive evidence on whether or not he was Jack the Ripper. Sure. I, I don't yeah. believe so. Uh, shorter one. That's H.H. H. Holmes. I know there's tons and tons and tons of stuff out there, and I kind of rushed through it, but I'm excited about your mystery. Yeah, <laughs> My, mine's relatively short as well. H.H. H. Holmes. It's, it's such a really I mean, interesting. Might not be the most appropriate word, but it is interesting. He accidentally mummified himself. Yeah, he's like one of those. Like one of those saints that's somehow like immaculately preserved after all this time being dead. It's it's really weird. Um, like you said, uh, Tosoid said he accidentally mummified himself. It is odd um, how much conjecture there is around this man's life, given that how, how he, com he committed evil, horrible crimes, actually, and that should be enough 
So you shouldn't have to elaborate on the mystery of his life. Did he still have his bowler hat? Oh, if that was still preserved underneath concrete and soil, that would have been hilarious. Pomade still present in his hair or whatever. <laughs> uh, be in the museum. The, yeah, he would. It would be over at Zach Baggins' place, probably. Yes. Over in Baggins there. You imagine? Um, yeah, it's just it's weird. Because he's a horrible person, right? Oh, and yeah. like and the Jack the Ripper stuff that we've kind of mentioned in passing, that's I mean, it's been slightly kind of you know, it, the legend has grown a little bit, but we've never over-elaborated on the crimes. The crimes are very well documented, so you don't really need to, like, embellish them. There's no need, because they're gruesome as they are, whereas this seems to have become, like, he becomes like a comic book villain almost. Oh, yeah, with rooms that uh, he could seal off and nobody could hear you scream and doors that go to nowhere, like real Winchester Mystery House stuff that they yeah. put in there that may have not even actually existed. Yeah, because the idea of him, it, it's a weird mix because obviously he's a psychopath and a serial killer, but there's also an element of like con artist, like capitalist, swindler. Like it's, it's, he's not just one thing. He's just like a bunch of terrible things all working together. And the house thing kind of makes me think maybe he was trying to make money as well, but he was also because he couldn't just like rent the rooms out because that would be too normal for him. He was doing all sorts of dodgy shit in there and probably had to dispose of bodies, but also killing people as well. It's really hard to know. I think the thing is the murder castle becomes the central part of all of this because the idea of this like saw-like complex that's got like all these trap doors and all these like weird ways of killing people that becomes like quite a, a great story but actually it might not be true whereas the reality is this guy is a horrible psychopath who's like that last one where he cons someone into a life insurance thing kills them sets them on fire moves in with their wife and kids kills the kids and then lies to the wife like that is such a dark sequence of events oh yeah man Ugh. so yeah the murder castle also the murder castle burnt down good fuck that place yeah <laughs> don't don't yeah burn it down for god's sake um yeah it's um it's it's really hard to score this one because um i mean obviously he's a psychopath and a murderer and kill people i think i'm gonna go with a like probably it's gonna have to be high it's gonna have to be like a 94 on this um because I think it would have been higher had we not had the um, unnecessary elaboration around like his life. Like if it, if it had just been stuck to the facts that he murdered all of these people uh, in in really horrible ways and swindled people and conned people, just an awful human being, then it probably would have been higher. But because there's been like not romanticized, but like his legend has been embellished upon, it's kind of spoiled it a little bit. You know, like you don't really know how much of it is true. So, right, I like that. I, I think that's good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and it, it's really interesting that you talk about like him like, bury me 10 feet deep because my story involves something being buried 10 feet deep. And this is complete coincidence, folks. I promise you. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't buried under concrete, it was buried under tree roots. Ooh. So, even weirder, I want to tell you the story of the Cardiff Giant, which is, depending on your point of view, well, actually, I'm, I'm, it's, you know, 
it's either a mystery or a hoax because some people still believe this shit but we'll get into this now the witch elm uh so on oh boy, a, I'm excited. <laughs> on October the 16th, 1869, William Newell, a struggling farmer based in Cardiff, New York, decided to try and give his farm a boost by improving the infrastructure around the property. He decided the first thing he was going to do was to place a well closer to his barn for easier access to water. So he contracted, he contracted a, um, some locals to start work immediately. Uh, the men dug for about half a day before uncovering something really, really strange. About 10 feet down, they found some fossilized remains that had been underground uh, so long, a series of roots, tree roots, had grown over them. Uh, what's that from Toasty? Oh, I thought it was Bella in the Witch Elm. Lev was about to confess to his crime. Nah, nah, that, that, <laughs> that's, that wasn't me. Um so um, this thing has got tree roots grown all over it, but they haven't quite, quite uncovered it all yet. So they start to dig it up um, piece by piece because obviously like, it's a major find. And also, we should point out, it'll come up later on, um, Cardiff, New York is quite a hub for fossilized remains in terms of like archaeological digs at this time. Like It's known for sort of stuff like that. So you know, finding something like this can be quite valuable because museums will actually pay for them. So this farmer who's down his luck is actually in luck because he's found something that you can actually sell to people anyway heck yeah in a matter of minutes the stunned laborers have excavated the body of a massive supine man i declare one of the men supposedly said some old indian has been buried here only um this was no random human body the corpse was over 10 foot tall and weighed nearly three thousand pounds holy crap yeah it didn't take long for news of the discovery to spread throughout Cardiff. Men left their work, the Syracuse Journal later noted. Women caught up their babies and children in numbers all hurried to the scene where the interest of the little community centred. Since Cardiff was already known for its fossil deposits, there we are, many surmised that the body was an ancient man that had been petrified by the waters of a nearby swamp. Don't think that's how swamp water works, but okay, let's carry on. Um, <laughs> while early examinations appeared to confirm this theory, a Syracuse-based science lecturer later declared the giant was not a man, but rather a statue, possibly carved by the French Jesuits a cent uh, centuries earlier. As the speculation mounted, Newell didn't know what to do. Um, he vowed that he was going to actually rebury the giant and forget about it until his neighbours convinced him that the discovery might have some historical value. And, you know, that's that's it. Um, it can. Ever heard of bo bog bodies? Actually, yes. No, that's that's right. You're absolutely right. Bog bodies, that makes sense. You can. They can become like well-preserved. Um, so Cardiff's prehistoric man made a splash, the likes of which had never been seen in rural New York. A new wonder, read the headline in the Syracuse Daily Standard. Another paper hailed to find as a singular discovery. When the crowds continued to grow, Newell covered the giant with a white tent began charging 50 cents gander for admissions. <laughs> Smart man. He's like, finally, I can pay for this fucking well and all this infrastructure. Some 2,500 people came during the exhibition's first week alone. Wow. So, that's a hell that's, of a draw. Yeah, $1,250 in the first week, which in 1869, that's a lot of money. Windfall. So, 
Yeah, that is a proper windfall. I'm just excited that they were like, it's either a statue or it's a dude. I don't know. Yeah, it's either real or it's looks to made real, uh, made to look real. Uh, so Newell brush, brushed off offers to buy the giant until a distant relative of his, George Hull, arrived in Cardiff a few days later. After a brief powwow, the two men agreed it was time to cash in. When a syndicate of businessmen offered them $30,000 for a three-fourth stake, so not even the full thing, just three-quarters, an incredible sum of money back in 1868, the equivalent of $650,000 in 2023 money, but so much more. You know, let's say six, Let's say your average house, instead of costing $650,000, costs like $20,000. That's the kind of money we're talking about. He could buy a town. With wow. that kind of money. Dude, and Crazy. that's just a three-quarter steak. That's a hell of a shark yeah. tank. So not only have they bought this like three quarters of it off him, but he's gonna get a regular income from it because they're gonna these businessmen are gonna show it, and he's gonna get like a quarter of that income. So nice. he's gonna continue earning. Incredible find. Newell decided to sell, which of course you would do. It's a huge amount of money. Um all sounds super amazing and interesting and weird, right? You know? Yes, absolutely. Unique. Now let's get to the real start of the story. Um, George Hull, the distant relative, was a Binghamton, New York-based cigar maker and the ultimate 19th century capitalist. He was a big dude, six foot three inches tall, which back in the day, back in 1860s, the average height of American men was five foot six. So he oh, is wow. a fucking giant himself. Uh, sorry, you just, so I just said drink. Yes. Um, I don't know if that's telling me to drink or if that's... Uh, is that from Twitch? Uh, yeah, it's yeah, telling me to hydrate. Uh, you know what? You spent your Twitch bucks. Let me... Uh... <laughs> you spent your channel bucks. Um, so, yeah, he's six foot three inches, three inches tall with an ego to match his stature and the slick countenance of a Victorian villain. Uh, I mentioned pomade hair before. He has pomaded hair and a super sharp mustache and curls up it's really really elaborate and piercing eyes um he already had a reputation for flaunting victorian proprietary because he married his 16 year old niece oh oh gross he's in his late 30s at this point oh that's a big mm. that's a yeah yeah this guy is um how can I put it? He's kind of a monster. Um, yeah. yeah. He, he's like one of these... I mean, I've been talking about Daniel Day-Lewis in, in There Will Be Blood. He's very similar to that. He is a businessman who does whatever the fuck he wants with incredible impunity because he thinks he can get away with everything. That's basically who George Hull is. Okay, he's I got you. Kind of crazy and horrible. Um, and married his niece when she was 16 and he was in his late 30s. Hull was also a staunch atheist and skeptic, probably because like, he, he could get into arguments with people. Um, according to his own account, Hull masterminded this entire thing when in 1866 he went visiting his wife's sister and family in Ackley, Ohio. Sorry, Iowa. Ohio? No. Uh, Iowa. A small farming community. While there, Hull engaged in a heated debate with a boarder, the Reverend Henry Turk, a traveling Methodist revivalist minister. In the debacle, Hull, an iconoclast and atheist, 
parried back and forth over the literal interpretations of the Bible. You're getting into an argument with a priest or a, a man of God about the Bible. Why? <sighs> Some people have weird hobbies, man. He'd have fucking loved Twitter, this guy. Let's go ahead <laughs> I <God>. bet you. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, my chap. My name is Sir Christopher Hansen. Would you like to take a seat? <laughs> um, yeah, that's what this guy needed. Um, so as fate would have it, um, they focused on one particular verse of Genesis 6, 4. There were giants in the earth in those days. Reverend Turk steadfastly defended the literal interpretation. Hull took the opposing view. And actually, my interpretation will be, A, this has been transcribed from like various languages, Greek through to English, and also they probably mean giants in terms of their success or fame or infamy in, in, in that sense of the word, and not literal giants. Um, anyway, uh, the, the priest was not for shaking on this one. Hull could not take Turk's faith, but a mischievous notion took root in the head in his head that he thought with relish would make a, all religious believers look foolish and might even bring in some profit for him to boot. Uh -oh. Um I interpret it as hung like horses. That's that's okay. <laughs> um, um, as he lay in bed later that night, Hull wondered if it might be possible to dupe the faith, the faithful, by making a stone giant and passing it off as a petrified man. If done right, he mused, the scam would allow him to strike a blow against religion and continue to profit off it. So this guy gets into an argument with an angry preacher and decides to try and bring down the very foundation of an entire religion. Because he's angry. Yeah. Totally normal behavior, that. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's got to be angry and try to take stuff away from people. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to prove you wrong by bringing down religion. What, what the fuck, man? With um, a stone man. It's a, with a stone man. Uh, <laughs> and this, it, it, get, it gets so elaborate from here. It should also be pointed out um, that this account might be a little bit dodgy, too, because um, Hull's idea wasn't entirely original or even his own creation, because in 1858, the Alta California newspaper had published a letter claiming that a prospector had become petrified after drinking liquid from inside a geode. So, yeah. Um, a crop of other newspaper articles then uh, jumped on the bandwagon and reported other case cases of uh, petrified people, despite there being literally no physical evidence of this actually happening, it just so happened that that one newspaper sold really well, and the others were like, "Oh, we need to run that story. We need to, <laughs> we need to shift that copy." Um, over the next two years, Hull spent nearly three thousand dollars, the equivalent of sixty-five thousand dollars in twenty twenty-three money, bringing this phony giant to life and shipping it to where it needed to be. He began by traveling to Fort Dodge, Iowa, where he secured a five-ton block of gypsum by claiming it was going to be used for a statue of the late Abraham Lincoln. He paid the two men who dug it up with a barrel of beer each. Which, oh, wow. Hey, you know what? Probably saved them a fortune. They'd have just gone out and got drunk anyway. Now they can do it at home. There so, you go. There you go. Good, good payment. Gypsum. <laughs> I, I've got to be honest. Like, If someone said to me, I, will, I want you to go over there and I want you to dig out a massive fucking rock, and I will pay you with a lifetime supply of Chinese food, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll do it. I will do it. Give me free food from a local Chinese for life. 
I, I will do that for hours. Um, <laughs> Hull then shipped the slab to a, a Chicago marbler, marble dealer who had agreed to help with the scheme in exchange for a piece of the profits. Just give me a cut. Just give me a cut and I'll do whatever you need. Um, with Hull posing as a model, a pair of sculptors spent the late... Sorry, yeah, yeah Hull posed as the model. Uh, a pair of sculptors spent the late summer of 1868 fashioning the gypsum into an artificial anthropological wonder. The statue took the form of a naked man lying on his back with his arm grasping at his stomach, one leg crossed over the other, and a face with a mysterious half-smile, or possibly a... He's farting or something. I don't know. Maybe that's... Uh, it's it's a grin. It's that shit-eating grin. Yeah, it's, it's that. Uh... It's the Mona Lisa. Mm, <laughs> um, the workers doused the exterior with sulfuric acid to give it an aged, eroded look, and Hull even dug pins into the body to replicate skin pores. So he's getting involved in the process as well. Oh, wow. Um, when finished, the sham colossus stood more than 10 foot tall and weighed nearly 3,000 pounds. Hull needed a place to bury his giant, and he eventually settled on Cardiff, New York, a small valley town that also happened to be the home of a distant relative and farmer named William Stubb Newell. After cutting Newell in on the deal and swearing him to secrecy, Hull shipped the giant to his property in an iron-sealed box. On a chilly night in November 1868, the men buried the behemoth near Newell's barn, wedging it under roots to create the illusion that it had been rested uh, beneath the dirt for centuries. Hull then returned to his home in nearby Binghamton and busied himself with his cigar business. Nearly a year would pass before he finally wrote to Newell and instructed him to resurrect the giant. <laughs> there you go. I hope he sent message th that way. Yeah, yeah, there's like, resurrect the giant. Like, no code or anything. <laughs> it's kind of funny. These homes would have handled the argument aftermath a lot better. I don't know. I feel like um, if he, this guy got into an argument with H.H. Holmes, he'd have probably ended up dead. So there's that. Probably wouldn't know. Yeah. Hey, uh, sorry about losing the scheme. Um, I just happen to have uh, I've got an, a life insurance thing that I want to talk to you about. Um, so... Now let's get back to Cardiff Giant Fever after they sold on most of the rights to the Consortium of Businessmen. Um, over the next few weeks, more, more experts convened on, the car, on Cardiff to inspect the new wonder. New York State geologist James Hall and Rochester University professor Henry Ward were among the many to throw their weight behind the statue theory, with Hall christening it the, rem the most remarkable object yet brought, in, brought to light in our century. It's a bit of a... I bet they took that quote and ran with it. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's yeah. great publicity. That's really good publicity. And actually, if you Google it, one of the things you'll see is a sign that was erected right by it. And it's got a bunch of things like 10 and 10 foot and four and a quarter inches tall, nearly 3,000 pounds. P.T. Barnum offered $15,000 for it. And uh, I turned him down. And uh, like, there's a whole sign. So they're really getting into it. Um, another camp still clung to the petrified man hypothesis, yet some were beginning to grow suspicious of the discovery's authenticity. Locals remembered seeing George Hall transport a massive crate through Cardiff a year earlier. That would count. You'd remember that. Yeah. You? Well, I think. Wasn't that guy with the big ass box? 
Yeah, you remember was that guy? guy the Xbox. That tall guy who was like he he had like pomade in his hair, like he was giant himself, and he was riding through town with a giant box. Now all yeah. of a sudden, his his cousins found a fucking giant. It's a little bit it's, suspicious, I think. I think it is. I think I might yeah. want to question that, mind you. It's it's the 19th century, and people are just like, just leave me out of your fucking business. Um, locals, <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, Let's see. Uh, and reporters also learned that Newell had transferred a large amount of cash to Hull immediately after selling the giant. So someone's bank manager has got really loose lips if they found that out. How the fuck? You shouldn't be able to find out people's financial details like that. That's really dodgy. Um, anyway, moving on. Questions. That was the farmer sending it to his... Yeah. So the oh. farmer had been paid and he was sending his uh distant relative a huge sum of money you could have explained that away by like saying oh he helped broker the deal for a, a, just, for a fee he did it on venmo is what the problem was yeah, so he had to say what it was yeah it, it was tracked <laughs> <laughs> stupidly he decided to ride through the streets of cardiff with a giant crate full of money and i think somebody told <laughs> um questions continued piling up in november when the giants uh, new owners took it on the road and exhibited it thousands of, to thousands of spectators in Syracuse and Albany. A mining engineer caused a stir when he noted that the gypsum would have deteriorated under the uh, soggy soil of Newell's farm. And even more crucial blow came courtesy of famed Yale paleontologist Othniel Charles Marsh. Great name, Othniel, um, not Neil. Um, O-T-H-N-I-E-L. That's not a name you hear. Anyway, parents hated him. Yeah, Othniel, Mrs. Mar Mr. and Mrs. Marsh. What do you want to call it? I guess it's better than Randy. Um, <laughs> who only needed a passing glance at the giant to pronounce a very recent origin and most decidedly humbug, which is 19th century talk for yeah, this is some bullshit right here. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what it is. We also need to address the elephant cock in the room because. This thing had a massive penis, and uh, <laughs> like, even in proportion to the body, the cock is huge on this thing. And I know that the George Hull, the psychopath who's behind this, has posed for this. And a part of me thinks he's been like, he said to the stonemasons, like, "Can you make sure that the penis is quite large, please? Like, like about this big, no bigger." You know, think think whale sized. Um, <laughs> it feels like someone involved in this is definitely trying to get people to like not look but look at, at the massive circumcised cock because there it was barely like that when they were excavating it they were like just cover it you know in case people go wild they just put like <laughs> one or two flowers over it to like enough to draw your attention to it but not enough to hide it you know so. Um, uh, so I was right about the Giants thing. Yeah, it's like it's really prominent. Also, the, that's another thing that people were like, um, so this thing's going to be hundreds, possibly thousands of years old. How come it's circumcised? Um, Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what, if, if you're going to do that, why? Make he it tripped and caught it on something as well. There you happened. go. That's it. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> perfect explanation. Um, still, where. <laughs> It's traditional uh, way of doing that. Still, some were so, uh, where some saw a fraud, others saw dollar signs. Only a few days after Marshall's inspection, the famed circus impresario and showman P.T. Barnum viewed the giant in Syracuse 
and tried to buy it. Um, basically walked up and he was like, is it alive? If it's alive, I'll either enslave it or treat it really badly um, and possibly kill it. But if it's dead, I'll treat it with some respect. Um, yeah, P.T. Barnum's a fucking awful human being. Oh. Don't believe the greatest showman. He is a awful human being and he looked nothing like um, Hugh, whatever his name is. Um, Hugh Grant? No, Wolverine. No, no. no. Uh... Hugh Jackman. Uh, Hugh Jackman, yeah. Um, P.T. Barnum is a terrible human being, and I'm very surprised that they decided to make that musical the way they did. And even more surprised that Zendaya took part in it because, you know, she's respected for speaking her mind and standing up for rights and stuff like that. And this guy had an actual slave, actual African-American slave in you, his, like, employ. You should, you should cover him. I think we might. I think we might cover P.T. Barnum down the line because he was... Hmm. Fucking awful. Anyway, the owners turned him down. So he was like, and nobody says no to P.T. Barnum. And he commissioned a sculptor to build an exact replica and began displaying it at the Manhattan Museum as the real thing. What a fucking carny. That's awesome, though. That's like a Danny McBride. Yeah, he is. He's like, oh, I can't buy it, huh? Okay. Yeah. Got you. I'm just going to rip you off, you stupid idiots. Um, <laughs> what is it? Asked the ads for Barnum's exhibition. Is it a statue? Is it petrification? Is it a stupendous fraud? Everything about this man is a stupendous fraud. Is it the remains of a former race? Barnum's giant drew huge crowds, even outselling the original when it arrived in New York that December. That's because he's really fucking good at marketing. Um, the man who built Barnum's forgery soon made several other copies, and by the end of the year, a half-dozen Cardiff giants <laughs> were being exhibited around the country. It's rather rich, quipped the Philadelphia Inquirer, that we should be victimized by such a fraud upon such a massive scale. That's, yeah. It's like it's not just one fraud. There's fucking dozens of them at this point. Get out of town. Yeah, he's building a whole set. It is, yeah. It's almost like people see when something makes a lot of money and then they're like, yeah, we're going to do the exact same thing again. It's the, it's the story. It's the newspaper story of people drinking from a geode and becoming petrified and they're just replicating. It's the same thing, only in a slightly different medium. It's the superhero movie gold rush of 2020s, you know? Like, oh my god, Marvel did so well, we have to make a, a complete universe now. No, you don't. People who have access to the, the rights of the monster movies from the 1930s and 40s, no one wants that shit. Just make good films. Uh, anyway, ran over. By early 1870, the Cardiff giant had turned from a subject of fascination into one of ridicule. Some people still argued for its antiquity, but new exposés were cropping up all the time, and even George Hull began publicly bra bragging about having engineered a hoax. So, like, he's made his money at this point. Um, they sold it for $30,000 which, as we've said, is like $650,000. So they've made 10 times their investment. He's made loads of money. And he's like, oh, aren't I clever? I fucking fooled you all. So like, <laughs> he's getting on it. Um, since it's history's greatest idiots, uh, you should cover each other. That's harsh, Toasty. You fucking kid, you got claws <laughs> over here. Very harsh. Uh, uh, we're not I was going to cover me. And mm. there's just not enough interesting stuff. 
no, I can't write enough about myself. I don't have enough time. Um, so, uh, the ruse finally crumbled that February when the newspapers printed confessions from the Chicago sculptors who had first chiseled the giant into being. The America's, uh, the American Goliath's proprietors continued exhibited it for a few years to ever-decreasing crowds, but by 1880, it had been condemned to a storage uh, storage in a barn in Massachusetts, at which point it actually came alive and started killing people. No, oh. that's just a monument mythos story. Uh, the giant eventually passed passed between various owners and toured the carnival circuit before being sold to the Farmer's Museum in Cooperstown, New York, where you can still see it to this day, which is kind of cool. Although I question, like, would it be the actual Cardiff giant? Because, like, here's the thing. I've seen the Magna Carta, right? The actual Magna Carta, the over thousand year old signing of like demanding of democracy and stuff like that. One of the first political documentary, like pieces of documentation in existence. There's actually like eight copies of the Magna Carta that's still around. And like they made dozens of the fucking things because they needed to make sure that every town had access to it. And they're like, oh, we have rights now. Thank you, King, for being such a fuck up. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, basically. you don't know if you're getting the original Cardiff Giant, but you're getting one of the six, you know? Yeah, so, that's good enough, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have, have a job. If you're ever in Cooperstown, New York, go to the Farmer's Museum and see the Cardiff Giant and its gigantic penis. Um, <laughs> having personally cleared around $20,000 in profit with the Cardiff Giant scheme, around $433,000 in 2023 money. That's profit, mind you. Um more than he could have made for in years being a cigar guy. Um, George Hull would later attempt to continue his new career as a flimflam man, which I fucking love, and we should bring that back. Um, Hell yeah, Nate. that's a great flimflam man. Humbug, flimflam, olithenial, or whatever the fuck that guy was called. <laughs> uh, that's some amazing 19th century words. Um, in 1877, um, he uh, tried to humbug the masses once again by building a giant seven-foot-tall uh, man with a tail and buried it in Colorado. Uh, he spent a lot more money on this one because he wanted it to be more elaborate and didn't want to fall into the trap of, why does this thing have a massive cock? Um, and why has it still got petrified hair? If it's hundreds of years old, um, he spent a lot more money on this one and nobody bought it because Ah. they're like, you have flogged this fucking horse to absolute death. So um, he died. He he lost almost all the money he made on the original Cardiff giant hoax because he spent so much money trying to make this thing elaborate that actually it cost him a ton of money and he nearly got into legal trouble about it. Oh, man. Yeah. He died in obscurity in 1902, supposedly still proud of once fooling the world with the Cardiff Giant. I won, even though I went broke because of my obsession with trolling people with the exact same fucking idea every single time. Um, So you might be wondering, where's the horror in this Halloween, specific this part of the Halloween special? It's kind of simple, because one man's obsession with proving a point and fucking with people duped almost an entire nation of people for years into believing this thing. And the horror isn't the discovery of a potential supernatural being. It's the fact that a lot of people would 
easily rather focus their attention and obsession on this one thing instead of looking at themselves and what they can do to better their lives. So they become so desperate for like a higher meaning, a greater thing, being part of a bigger picture that they allow themselves to become distracted and pulled away from their lives when really their attention you know, would be better spent improving their own lives, working on themselves and helping their families, their people around them and stuff. And that's the real horror is the fact that some people are like so desperate for some greater, bigger thing that actually they allow themselves to be duped by these horrible people and their attention draws to these insane obsessions and unfortunately it robs them of their potential that's for me the real horror of this where you know this guy it's very much like elon musk he's a one-trick pony who is very good at doing one thing and then he does it over and over again to diminishing returns returns every single time and people like you know he's kind of his own biggest like hype guy um and you know he did dupe a lot of people and made some money from it but um yeah it's just a bit sad really so what do you make of the cardiff giant oh i'm not even sure how to rate it i mean i know i think see that that's what i was thinking because like who's the idiot in this situation It's, it's not the giant is it the people of cardiff is it like george hull who came up with the whole thing because he got into an argument with a priest at a boarding house like I kind of think that, yeah, that one. And yeah, because sure. the, he tried to do it twice, because you can't yeah. go back in. Like, that's always the thing. You got to know when enough is enough. It's always when you try to rob that last bank that you get caught. Exactly. And actually, it, it's it's kind of the opposite lesson of the guy you covered last episode, who was very good at doing hoaxes, but they were always much less harmful and always entertaining, but they were never the same thing. Like, you'd always have a different idea. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So, but this guy, he's he's got one idea, and he's going to ride that shit into oblivion, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Although the tail, it's a new touch. The tail is um, interesting. He's, he's made a centaur now, so. The people falling for it, though, I want to rate them super high, just because some of them fell for it and wanted to believe that there was a giant race of people afterwards, and probably even still today, <laughs> Uh, yeah. knowing full well that the dude came out and said it was a hoax. Yeah, and actually, um, Kimberly, hello, welcome to the show again. Uh, I'm not sure if people really believe it or if they just they were just bored and ready to be entertained by anything. I, I think that's definitely the case with a lot of the reason that people would pay 50 cents. They're like, oh, I've seen that thing now. That's cool. Same reason I went to see the Magna Carta. I'm like, I can tell people I've seen the Magna Carta now. You know, whereas... But some people actually did for years hold up that like it, there were a race of giants in America and isn't that amazing? And, you know, like and like Derek was saying, there's been a big revival in like this theory of giants like, oh, look at these giant doors in this building. I just must be for a giant. Like, no, just people build big things. That's all that is yeah. really, it's, you know, it trips me out to think that like when I was doing pest control, I did a lot of <clears throat> wealthy people's houses. Right, uh, like they're extra houses. Oh, <laughs> oddly nice. enough, which is like ten times the size of my house. Jeez. Um, and they all had giant, twenty foot tall doors that just opened yeah. up. Like they were huge. They, yeah. they all, and they opened all easy. And yeah. when we're gone, which 
God, feels like it's going to be soon, more and more Real lately. Soon. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to find our stuff, whoever survives and looks back, and they're going to be like, these people were huge. Yeah. Maybe. And then some of them were normal size. That's so yeah. weird. Yeah. So the giant legend is going to outlive us. <laughs> it's so dark. Probably. Oh, I shit. Just, I don't even know. Like, I guess I've wandered off from raiding it. I've wandered into <laughs> your your uh, monologue on the horror of it because yeah. it hit me real good because I've been thinking on that sort of stuff a lot lately because yeah. I feel like I get duped a lot. And then the covering each other as idiots. I was an idiot for most of my life and probably am maybe bigger now. I don't yeah, know. Well, I, I completely agree. You know, there were periods in my life where I just like lost years, probably like a decade to stupidity and bad decisions and poor, weird behavior. And that's just, that's kind of part of life. And that's how you learn. And this is one of the reasons behind the podcast is that we do learn from these mistakes, but, you don't have to repeat them over and over again. That's the point. You learn from the mistakes and you grow and you become a better version of yourself as a result of that. And um, if you let an obsession become your whole life, then that's the real tragedy in life. That's the real horror. So, yeah. Basically. I really wish we'd stop doing the same shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> God, I... I it's hard I, to rate this because it's it's not really one person. It's like multiple different things. Can I just rate the story as like uh, sure. how I liked it? Like, sure. Just give you a grade on the story. Thank of, you. Yes, you of, can give me a grade on the story. Give you a, a 92 because I felt like it was an A paper. Thank you. I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> I, I had to, um, because every accounting of this talks about it as a hoax straight away. But actually, I wanted to put it in the context of how it was sold to people at the time. And it was sold to people... I'm just a humble farmer and I'm like struggling and I just wanted to build a, I just wanted to help my farm. And I thought building, um, building a well would be the first step in that because I'd have more water and more access and I could all of this stuff. But actually one of the things, one of the first things people pointed out was why the fuck did you build a well there? There's clearly yeah. no water. <laughs> and also, isn't it amazing that you started digging in one area and within a couple of hours, they found this incredibly perfectly preserved petrified man. He's like, uh, I don't, I don't know. It's just coincidence, isn't it? It's weird. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's the, the the farmer was not very good at explaining himself, which is probably one of the reasons why it, it was doubted very quickly. Which you know, question things, people. It's good. It's good that it was doubted quickly because I think people don't doubt enough stuff quickly. There's people running around saying that witches are real again and shit. So yeah. Like, what the fuck, guys? Come on. Giants aren't real. They never were real. It's just a thing that people make up to create entertaining stories. Listen, folklore and like stuff like that a part, is part of culture. And actually, it's woven into people's identity as, as part of their heritage and stuff. And I love stuff like that. You look at like Scandinavian legends and like North African legends and, and stuff from like parts of asia and stuff like all of that stuff's really fascinating and really beautiful and it's part of the culture and you know the welsh dragon you know that's part of my culture and i love that shit i love the folklore i love the fairy tales i love the mythical stuff but it's not real and it's great to look at that culture and really delve into it but do not 
think it's real and let it take over your life because that's yeah. just sort of a waste of the person that you are. Really. And you got to try to find what the symbolism and stuff yeah. is so that you learn the lessons. Yeah. You know, that they're designed to teach you about life. <laughs> yeah. And also don't become obsessed with the guy with the giant cock. Uh, because that's just that's a weird thing. If you look at pictures, and again, Cardiff, the Cardiff Giant thing, a lot of like since that hoax, a load of people have taken that name. Like a footballer from Wales became the Cardiff Giant uh, as a result of this, like in the like mid 1950s or something. And there's been a bunch of wrestlers called the Cardiff Giant uh, in America and all over the UK as a result of that because. Oh, if you're tall, you must be a giant. Therefore, you're the Cardiff giant. So it became like a really popular thing. But yeah, um, when you Google it, make sure you've got safe search on because that the, the penis just jumps out the screen at you. It's it's right there. I was going to uh, say, that's a solid porn name, I suppose, too. The Cardiff giant, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, there's got to there's be a porn version of that. There's got to <laughs> be. Someone in the valley has made that film. Um, so yeah. Thank you so much for for rating that. I actually had a lot of fun uh, doing that story. I, it's it's also um, a song. One of the reasons I covered it because it is kind of like a, a slight mystery and stuff. Um, there's a song by my favorite band of all time, Me Without You, called The Cardiff Giant, and the the story around the Cardiff Giant itself acts as a metaphor for your understanding of um, your faith your understanding of the world around you but also your understanding of yourself um because you build up this thing you discover you think you've discovered this thing and it looks real it looks genuine and there's a lyric that says um beside the cardiff giant with the alabaster eyes so you look into the eyes and there's nothing there it's not real and uh the the later on the um one of the lyrics is the eye is an unintelligible lie like actually the thing you think you are is is a lie so it's it's a really interesting song a lot of their songs are about like discovering who you are discovering what you want to be in life but also about like losing family members and also talking vegetables they they love talking they love singing about talking vegetables um, <laughs> okay it's really random all over yeah, the which, place. <laughs> which acts as acts as metaphor for for like race relations and sexuality and stuff so it's it's really weird um but yeah like they wrote a song called the cardiff giant and it was the first song of theirs that i really loved because it's got this kind of like weird mellow pace but also it's really deeply philosophical and energetic and yeah um the cardiff giant by me without you it's a really good gateway into their music because it's quite accessible even though the lyrics are really philosophical i so. think i'm gonna go check that out now yeah it's i, think I spent of... a lot of time listening to music yeah. not deep enough and uh, I think there's yeah. a lot of people that have spent time not catching the actual message of music. Yeah, I did that recently as well. I, I re-listened to In Rainbows by Radiohead. And I listened to um, the song Weird Fishes, um, which is Weird Fishes are Peggy. And he's talking, Weird Fishes! <laughs> and like it, it's you listen to it and you're like, oh, it's about him sinking into a deep depression falling to his lowest point and then breaking out of the depression but actually the lyrics are just like um, um i just want to dive in i want to follow you you know right you know being eaten by the worms stuff like that and you're like when you listen to it like oh yeah like he is diving deep into a, a, a really bad circumstance and actually breaking free so yeah like i've been rediscovering not that i 
didn't think there was meaning behind Radiohead songs, but when they sing about like, um, what is it? Security, can you get rid of this woman? Her Hitler hairdo is making me feel ill and stuff like that. Like I was like, that's that's just Tom York saying shit. That's not really meaningful lyrics, but yeah, um, yeah. Read into your lyrics. There's there's some interesting stuff there. Maybe as you get older, you kind of look at it with a different view too, where you're like, yeah. Oh shit! <laughs> That's what they were going for. <laughs> what does cat scratch fever mean? Probably don't look into that one. Um, yeah, <laughs> don't don't look into that one. Or golden brown. Ooh, I'm gonna go have to take another look at that WAP song now. I suppose. Yes, yes, because that's a confusing one. What's the meaning behind that one? But um, yeah. Also, <laughs> I discovered so many songs recently about heroin. Um, oh yeah, golden brown texture like sun lays me down with my mind. She runs. I'm like, oh shit, it's about using heroin. Okay, wow, yeah. yeah. And um, then I got onto it and I looked at a list of songs that are about drug use, and then it was. Perfect Day by Lou Reed. I was like, oh, it's about doing heroin in the park. Oh, that's fucked up. Wow. There She Goes by the Lars. That's about heroin. Oh, I did yeah. not know that one. There she goes again, pulsing through my veins. I'm like, oh, fuck me. <laughs> wow. I'm going to listen to that one, too. Yeah, I was surprised. And then there was stuff like, oh, 50 Cent wrote this. And I was like, well, yeah, that's that's like really easy. But Golden Brown. I was like, oh, of course, because that's the color of heroin. Yeah. So, wow. just, I, I know I discovered a bunch of stuff about music recently when I was like, I should have listened to this when I was younger. Now I'm like 40 or something. I'm finally discovering. Dude, maybe yes. that's what we should do for our little Patreon oh, side yeah. thing. We just go deep dive on some music that we re listen to. <laughs> yeah, really re listen to some shit. Share it. So, yes, we need to do that. Actually, that'd be great. Um, but I've had. I've had a really good time with this Halloween special. I really enjoyed the the H.H. Holmes thing because, again, it's like someone who's been myth- mythologized so much, you, you don't know how much of it is true, you know? Yeah, but it was it fun also, to look into. Yeah, it's it's an interesting story because I feel like we're removed enough from it, and obviously it's it's horrifying, and there's some really horrible murderers around that time. Another one, really horrible one, was Albert Fish. Um don't don't look into Albert Fish if you've got a weak stomach, because he was. I mean, actually, his whole life, but also his murders were horrible. Um, yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of, but I think we're removed enough from it where we're like, you kind of look back at it and go, "Wow, the Victorian era was era was dark, possibly because there was such an obsession around death as well around that time and the afterlife and stuff." So. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, gosh, all times are dark. I mean, we had John True. Wayne Gacy and Richard Ramirez, and yep, the list and goes on. Yeah, Dr. Harold Shipman over in the UK, who had apparently offed between two and 400 elderly people. Just because. Uh, right? Just because he could, like just yeah. injecting them with, with various things and getting away with it for decades. So yeah, just, just fucked up, man. Anyway, no, there's, that's our Halloween special. H.H. Um, <laughs> Holmes <laughs> and the Cardiff Giants. So America's first serial killer and, um, well, first co- kind of actually noted serial killer. I bet there are a bunch of people behind that. I think America's first actual serial killer was probably the seventh president who we covered in our first episode, which was, um, oh, man, what's his name? Benj- uh, no, um, John, no. Andrew Jackson? Andrew Jackson, yeah. I mean, he killed like 14 people before he became president. So that's that's either mass or serial killing. So, 
Yeah. It, yeah, I guess it wasn't all at the same time. It would have to be all at yeah. the same time to be mass. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so serial. Yeah, America's first serial killer was actually a seventh president. There you go. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and the Cardiff Giant, one of the most interesting mystery slash hoaxes of the last like hundred years. I love that they duped P.T. Barnum and he was like, I'm just going to steal it anyway. Hooray. Um, so, yeah, that was awesome. You, I hope I hope <laughs> you lost money on that one. Fuck you, P.T. Barnum. Um, so yeah, that was a really interesting show. If you guys want to give us a follow on social media, please go to at greatest idiots on Twitter slash X and go to history's greatest idiots on Instagram. And if you would like to sling us some cash and help make our lives more, uh, you know, help make the production of the show a lot easier and hopefully make this into a full-time gig, go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots where you can get behind the scenes stuff and extra content and access to scripts and stuff from our lives that we don't share with anyone, even on social media, including holidays and pets and cute shit. Yeah, and and a bunch of short-form video content is on there as well. Um, Also, just want to say a big thank you to everyone because we we hit a couple of really big milestones recently. We now have over a 1,000 Spotify followers, and we were like, it was weird. I was watching it desperately watching it like 995 <laughs> 997 998 and it was stuck on 998 for a couple of days and i was like there's a big tick over coming and then we jumped to like 1026 or something i was like holy shit that was quick um so thank you to everyone who's following us on spotify that's where we get 75 percent of our listeners so we've yeah thank you so much and also we hit 40,000 all-time plays recently which is amazing so much so that I am beginning another round of trying to get us onto a history podcast network so that we can maybe join the 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 whole hallowed halls of other history podcasts and maybe get some advertising money that Woo-hoo. way as well. That would be really wonderful. Um, yeah, so thank you guys so much for supporting us. And if you do want to support us financially again one more time, patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots so you can get access to all that stuff. Um, Derek, would you like to say goodbye, please? Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. And goodbye, Kimberly. Thank you for the congrats. And we will see you again in a couple of weeks. Everybody, enjoy yourselves and have a spooky Halloween. Ooh, scary noises. <laughs> Bye now. <laughs>